0: All right. Well good morning, my friends. Good morning. And Merry, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you today. Uh I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. That's for sure. Um I uh I look forward to Sunday every single week because it's such a it's such an oasis and uh you know, as you all know, my life at home is so hard <laughs> that I uh I look forward to being here. No, it's just it's just um this time of year is special, um, and uh, my name is Frank. So let's be frank. <laughs> uh, most of you who've been around for a long time, some of you guys from like the from like way 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 back. I mean, some of you are so old. <laughs> um, and this church, one of the things that I love so much about this body is that we've been through a lot, uh, quite a bit. There's been quite a bit. I mean. Um, People have left, and people have come back, and people have left and never come back, and some people have left and come back and wish that they never came back, you know. Um, and we've been, you know, we've 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 gone as we've gone through the word, the Lord's taken us in different places, and sometimes we've done things that we were like, you know, this is what God wants us to do. And then years later uh, or months or weeks or whatever later have, th- have said, you know what, the Lord really is kind of moving us in a different direction or maybe that was just for a season or whatever. And one of the things is, for those of you who don't know, don't get scared, but for many, many, many years we didn't celebrate Christmas uh, in, in this church, in this body. We didn't have the poinsettias. We didn't do Christmas Eve service. We didn't do anything. We didn't have Christmas trees in our home. Uh, because you know we were trying to be those Bereans, right? We were trying to be the the people that would compare everything to the Word of God. And historically, as many of you may know, uh, the many of the, the 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 aspects of the celebration of Christmas that we that we do, um, they're not in the Bible, right? You know, Dad's always pointing us to the little things. You know, like the three wise men weren't really at the manger. You know what I mean? And we're like, Shh, cut it, cut it, faster, you know. I got to go change home and change my nativity set now, um, you know. But we know we know these things. But but so much uh, of of what the church celebrates, uh, such as Easter and such as Christmas, really, if we, if you really study the history, and this is going to be maybe inconvenient for a lot of you, an inconvenient truth, um, to quote a man, <laughs> uh, it, it's it, it's paganism. Its roots are paganism. A lot of it. You know what I'm saying? Jesus didn't invent the Yule log, right? Jesus didn't institute the Christmas tree. Jesus didn't institute the giving of gifts, nor command us to celebrate his birth. Uh, When the church first began, when it sprang into existence, it was persecuted beyond belief. It was persecuted beyond belief. Uh, the, The people who were Israelites, who were Jews, who became followers of what was called the way at that time were driven from their very homes uh, and from their neighborhoods. They couldn't find work. They were literally excommunicated from every aspect of their life that they'd always known. Uh, And then when the church began to spread and Rome began to take notice, they began to persecute the church. Uh, And it got to the point, I mean, it's traditionally said, and I don't know how much actual history there is to this, but it's said that Nero actually would light his garden by putting posts down the roadways of his garden with Christians nailed to these posts, and then light them on fire. And he would ride through. Um, the uh, The church was persecuted enormously by the nation of Rome. Well, then at some point along the way, they began to realize, we're killing some of our best people. Right? These are not the criminals. These are not, the, these are not the, the cast-offs or the foreigners. A lot of these people are some of our best Roman citizens. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the physician, and it's addressed to what? The most excellent Theophilus. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Theophilus is not a Jewish name. Right? Theophilus is not a Jewish name. This was probably a, a Roman senator. Or somebody of that lofty of a position. And Luke was probably his slave. Uh, you didn't need blue cross, blue shield. You just simply have a doctor who's a slave, you know, if you're very wealthy. Uh, and Luke undertook this, this mission of taking an account down by going and talking to all of the different eyewitnesses of the ministry, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ and resurrection. And then writing it down. And that's how we got the gospel of Luke. And so you had people in prominent positions and you had people who are um, important to the nation of Rome who were lawbreakers because of their faith and their stand in Jesus Christ. And so as history, as history goes, if you've studied any of your church history, along comes Constantine, right? And he becomes the emperor of Rome. And what happens is he actually makes Christianity the state religion of Rome. He makes Christianity the state religion. And you're, and you're like that's awesome, no more being burned at the stake, absolutely, I wonder how many Christian lives who had prayed and prayed and prayed, oh Lord, God bless you, oh Lord, would you stay the hand of the Romans, Lord, Lord, could you deliver us in the church who are being poured out as a drink offering, and we're willing to die for the name of Christ, but Lord, if it's your will, you know, you wonder how many prayers, and how many of those prayers were answered because of Constantine. Because he took Christianity and he made it the state religion. Bless you, bro. At the same time, however, right? And what happens so often... You know, you guys know politics to, to, to some degree, and what happens? Uh, a bill is drafted up by Congress, and they send it up to the President, and the President looks at the bill, and of course you've got your Democrats and your Republicans who get along famously, right? And so the bill will have all of these great things in it, but then it'll have a couple of things in it that that President, of whatever party he is affiliated with, cannot possibly sign because it flies in the face of everything that he wants to do or that he believes in. And so he'll veto the bill. And then the opposite side will go to CNN or Fox News or whatever your poison is and say, Oh, the president doesn't care about children, you know. Oh, the president doesn't care about this. It's just the politics. So, so always there's the good that goes along with the bad. And we see this much of it. That's why, that's why it's so important for us as believers to, uh, it, you know, obviously we're American citizens. And we've been we've been given the right to vote and to take part in the politics of our country at great cost, right? And I think it's important that we do so, that as Christians we are the best kind of citizens, of American citizens who vote and are involved, but that we also know that our hearts and who we really are are not Americans, but our citizenry rather lies in heaven. And we are children of the great king and we are his ambassadors, and we are his foot soldiers. That's the kingdom that we belong to. And so what happens is you can allow the grace and mercy of God to flow through you, and everything doesn't have to be all bad or all good. You follow me? How do you know, Republican, that God didn't have Obama? Because that's what the the Bible teaches, that God appoints the leaders according to his will, that God appointed Obama for that time for a certain purpose and reason to accomplish his will in a certain way in the world today. And you know, all these Christians stand up and say, we must oppose Obama. You must shut up, is what you must do. You must shut up and sit down and pledge allegiance and salute and worship God. Right? And now the Trumpster is the new president and love him or hate him or indifferent to him whatever the case may be it doesn't matter god has appointed him for this time and we're taught by the word of god that now it's our turn to now pray for that president that god's will will be accomplished through him but i don't have to be locked in to a certain set of policies or political tactics or belief because i'm not a citizen of this world am i I can just live before God and just say I'm going to do what God commands me to do, and that's to be the best citizen that I can, to love my neighbor as myself, to worship and serve God alone, and allow people to see that example in my life. They can say, "Oh, you're affiliated with this party, aren't you?" Yeah, I I, I, vote. You know, I vote this way. It's the way I vote according to my conscience. Well, isn't it freaking you out? Oh, not at all. Why? Because my hope ain't in the president of the United States. Can you imagine? If our hopes were in the, whoever the president was, or who was in Congress, or the Senate, or the UN, whoo, that's scary. But our hope is in the eternal God. You understand that He is above. He is beyond. <laughs> he surrounds all that is. Everything that happens in this world, we're like ants on an anthill. And He's the Creator And everything lives and moves and has its existence in him. That's what we're taught in the Word of God. And he has one plan, one plan, one overall plan that is of his primary concern. You know what that is? The redemption of mankind. The redemption of mankind. And so when Christianity became the state religion of Rome, it was great because probably who knows how many lives were saved Christian lives were saved because of that. But at the same time, in order to make Christianity palatable to the people, many of the Roman traditions were brought in and merged with Christianity so that it would be palatable not just to the Jewish believers or the new Gentile believers, but to the entire nation of Rome. And that's where we get the holidays of Christmas and Easter. And that's where you get all of the different aspects of it that aren't biblical, but rather are actually ancient Roman and before that Babylonian traditions. And because of that, for many, many years, we wouldn't celebrate Christmas. We wouldn't celebrate Christmas. But then the most amazing and wonderful thing happened. And it's still not about Christmas. The most amazing and wonderful thing happened. God began, He brought us out of Uh, uh, the the church that we were at in Midler uh, Midler Ave in in, in Syracuse, New York uh, which was uh, associated with a certain denomination and he brought us out of that denomination by his will and he brought us out to this place and he began to school us in the school of grace in the school of grace and God's mercy and he began to teach us that he is above and beyond this world and while we are obligated I want to make this very clear. While we are obligated. As children of God. As disciples of Jesus Christ. And as students of the word of God. We are required to study and know this word. And to conform our hearts and our lives to it. Rather than to ever. Seek to make it conform to our hearts and lives. Right? That is of the utmost importance for the child of God. But within that, God has given given us this understanding of the grace and mercy of God. And we begin to see things in the Bible that we had never seen before. Paul, when he's preaching to the Greeks and he goes to the Areopagus, or Areopolis, or Areopagus, or however you pronounce it, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what does he do is he goes up to an altar, and the inscription on it to the unknown God. And this is a pagan altar, and they would offer sacrifices on that altar just in case we're missing one. The unknown God represented just in case there's a God out there who we're not aware of, and we're missing His worship, we're missing offering sacrifices to Him. We don't want Him to get mad at us. It was all superstition. And so they would offer sacrifices to the unknown God. And Paul walks up to that pagan altar, and he says, I perceive that you're very religious. Now they're pagans, Paul. Stop it. You know what I'm saying? Gamaliel would have pounded him on the head with a club for saying that. That was his teacher. But he said, I perceive that you're very religious. And I see even here that you have an altar to the unknown God. And then he uses it like this. He goes, therefore, him whom you do not know, I proclaim to you today. And he used that pagan altar to give the people the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is Christmas then? And what are we to do with Christmas or Easter? The same thing that you do every other day. You are free in Christ Jesus. Read Galatians. And then read it again. And then read it again. The book of Galatians. It is for freedom that you have been set free. You are free in Jesus Christ. The handwriting of the requirements of the law of Moses. Remember that old covenant we talked about last week? Has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. That's what he meant when he said, I've not come to abolish the law, but rather I've come to fulfill the law. Not to uphold the law, not to hold you accountable to the law, to fulfill the law. And what he meant by that is the things that you've never been able to do, and the life and the the holiness and the standard that you've never been able to live up to, I am going to live to that standard, and then I am going to die, and be that perfect sacrifice and allow my blood to be shed to make up your difference. And so the handwriting of requirements, as Paul calls it, which is contrary to us, in that it's contrary to our very nature, was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. And our righteousness now is found where? We just sang the song. In Him. Our debts are paid because of what Jesus did. Our righteousness, all of our righteousness, is found in Him. Our own personal righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. But our righteousness is found in the Lamb. And so we can celebrate Jesus Christ unfettered. Unfettered and without restraint. So, let me give you another example. What do we do? What do we do with someone who walks into this church and begins to come to this church who may be living a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle that we know, according to the Word of God, is sinful, is contrary to what God's Word teaches, but that the world says it's fine and it's okay and all of you need to just accept it. What do we do? Do we call them out? Do we pull them aside? Do we say, let me tell you something. Here's what we do things around here, buddy. We are rather the Word of God. Well, we are people of the Word of God, so what do we do? How are you reconciled to God? Through whom? Jesus Christ. And where does your righteousness lie? In Jesus Christ. And how do you overcome the obstacles in your life that beset you? The things that keep you from God. The things that continually knock you down over and over again. The victory that you eventually find comes through where? Jesus Christ. Not because you work it and will it up within yourself to stop doing it. And how... Is He able to do that as we draw near to Him? Jesus Christ did not come to establish a religion, did He? He came to restore a relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden all those thousands of years ago. All those thousands of years ago when Adam and Eve fell to sin and they were separated from that relationship with god their lifeline was cut and religion was instituted and sacrifices were instituted to make some sort of imperfect way so at least there could be a connection to god and they could be justified before god in spite of the fact that they could never see god because as god said to moses no man can see my face and live why because of sin Because of sin. But Jesus Christ, his mission, and what he did was to completely wipe out, to completely wipe out the handwritten requirements that are against us because we fall short of the glory of God every single day. So because of Christ's blood, every single day, listen to me very carefully, my friends, every single day, Regardless of what yesterday looked like for you. Regardless of what yesterday looked like for you. Every single day because of Jesus coming and living and teaching and dying and raising from the grave. Rising from the dead. Every single day is a brand new day in Jesus Christ. Every single day. You wake up and you go before God. And you live your life before God. What did Jesus Christ say about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Now what he said? Don't worry about tomorrow. Because what does he say? It's got enough worries of its own. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single inch to your stature or one hair to your head? Right? What is what good does it do, Jesus said, to worry and to fret and to fear for tomorrow? What good does it do you? He told them nothing. He told us to live our lives like children. He said, I want you to be innocent like children. Because children will just be open and honest. And they'll tell you exactly what's on their mind. There's no guile. There's no deception. That comes later. Little kid will just walk out in the kitchen and go, you're fat, daddy. (laughs) I'm burning all your presents. They have no guile. They just are who they are. And when you tell them Jesus loves you, they go, okay. And they just receive it. Because they're innocent. Jesus told His disciples, unless you come as a child, put aside all of the garbage, all of the gunk, all of the things that have been built up in your life that keep you from, oh, I can't come to God today because. Well, I'm not good enough because. That's garbage. That's all garbage. you got to come like a child. My kid, who may have just driven me over the edge yesterday, the very next day is not afraid to come right into my bedroom. Dad, I need this. Dad, can I have this? And what do you think I do? Because of yesterday, the fire was, You know, no. Why? Because yesterday's gone, man. How can I bless you today, my child? I don't really call them my child. Just... What else did Jesus say to his disciples? Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap. Not a single sparrow falls from heaven that your heavenly father isn't aware of it. Not a single one. Every single little tiny sparrow that you walk by that you see dead in the street. I think of the frogs. You know when it rains in Kirkville, and then the next day you realize that a froggy holocaust has taken place on the blacktop roads of Kirkville, New York? There's 8 trillion billion flattened frogs everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I don't care. I think of, I just, you know what I mean? Maybe even when I run over a big one, I go, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But God, because he's the creator, think of the depths of the love. Think of the depths of the heart of your heavenly father. That not a froggy gets squished. I mean it. That he's not aware of it. And Jesus said, how do you suppose then he considers you? how do you suppose that he considers you and how do you suppose that because of the sacrifice of jesus christ and because your heart has been restored to god because of that sacrifice how do you suppose god wants you to come to him just as i am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me just to come just as i am So the answer to the question, if somebody walks into this church who's living some sort of lifestyle that we know goes contrary to God's Word, what is our response? Love. Love. And teaching them the same thing we're learning about Jesus, about His grace, about His mercy, and pointing them to the Word. Who does the changing? Us? The church? God does the changing. God is the one who speaks to the heart of a man. No other man. I mean, you can get people to obey you out of fear or out of respect or out of consequence. You can get them to do what you want them to do. You can manipulate them, but you can never change a person's heart. Can you? Some of us parents have been through that as we're disciplining our children or teaching our children. And we get them to do the right thing, but you can see in their little heads... Inside their little heads, they ain't doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing because I don't want to be in trouble. But I can't wait till Dad's not looking. It's God who changes the heart of a man. So I wanted to, and the, 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 the handouts that were uh, up front um, that, I, that I put out there for you guys, is just for you to keep for yourself. And these are just some of the prophecies. Uh, in the word of God Concerning Jesus Christ being born Jesus Christ uh, being the Messiah And coming And coming, and I, I would just like to go through Just a few of them The very first one Comes from the book of Genesis uh, After Adam and Eve had fallen And God comes and he questions each of them Remember he, he questions Adam And Adam like the true hero that he was Right? It's the woman The woman that you gave me She gave it to me, and I, ate. you know, it's her fault. And she goes to the woman, and the woman goes, the devil made me do it. And so God goes to the devil, and he curses him in the form of the serpent. And he says this interesting thing in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, we know that this is prophetic, because a woman does not have seed. The woman has an egg, right? So when he says the woman's seed, what is he speaking of? An impossibility. What is he speaking of? The virgin birth. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Capital H. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I like the literal translation that says, he will crush your head. That's better for me. I like that. Later in Genesis chapter 22, as God speaks to Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. He says to Abraham, in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Speaking of two things. First, that Abraham was going to be the father of a nation. As we know, the nation of Israel that stands and exists to this day because of God's prophetic protection against, uh, for them. And Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob who had 13 sons. 12 of whom are named the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? And so through them, specifically, we're going to get to this next, through the line of Judah, uh, the Messiah was to be born. And later on, in chapter um, 49 of Genesis, as Jacob is on his deathbed and he's blessing his sons, he says to Judah in Genesis 49:10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh means place of rest. Interesting. There's a city in Ephraim named Shiloh. And it means place of rest. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Speaking of Messiah. Messiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses, in speaking to the people, says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. And then David in the Psalms. There's many, many prophecies in the Psalms. Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Of course, speaking of Jesus Christ when he establishes his kingdom on planet earth. Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul in hell or Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's see, Psalm 68, verse 18. You have ascended on high, speaking of Christ's ascension. You have led captivity captive, speaking of Jesus Christ, going into the bowels of the earth, taking the keys of life and death from the devil, preaching the gospel to those who were in captivity, who were in Abraham's bosom, as we've talked about before. Because why? In before Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, everyone went to hell. That's right, even the saints of the Old Testament went to hell. Now, the Bible teaches us that there is two compartments of hell. There is the place of torment, and then there is what was called Abraham's bosom. And that's where the righteous dead went. Why did they go there? Because they couldn't go to heaven. Why? because, Because of sin. Because their sins had never been fully atoned for, and so they could not stand in the presence of God. And so Jesus, after he's crucified and buried, he descends into the lower parts of the earth, and he preaches the gospel. And the Bible talks about him leading this great train to heaven. As all of the old testament saints, Jesus shows up in hell and says, Guess who's here? Well, where's that prison keeper? Oh, he's knocked out over there. And he leads him out. I don't know if he actually knocked him out, but in my in my head there is an actual punch (laughs) like a like a bugs bunny (laughs) type thing where he punches the devil so hard that his horns flip over this way and all right. Um, Psalm 69, verses 1, 3, 8 to 9, 20 to 21. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Verse 3, I am weary with crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Verses 8 to 9, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Remember Jesus clearing the temple. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me, speaking of him bearing sin. In verse 20 to 21, Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, speaking of Jesus taking our sin on himself. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. If you remember, the Roman soldiers, when Jesus said, I thirst, they took the gall and vinegar and put it to his lips, so that he could wet his mouth, so that he could loosen his tongue, which had cloven to the top of the roof of his mouth because of dehydration, severe dehydration. And he was able to loosen his mouth for one final time so that he could cry out to tell us, "Die." Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Remember Jesus asked the teachers of the law, If he's David's son, then why does David call him Lord? And they're like, Huh? What? If the Messiah is David's son, then why does David call him Lord? Because he's not just David's heir, is he? He's the son of God. Psalm one thirty two eleven. The Lord Lord has sworn this truth in David; he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Isaiah. This is the best book for the prophecies of Jesus. Isaiah seven fourteen, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Oops. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. I got a lot in Isaiah. Mm-mm. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is Isaiah 9, uh, verses 2 and then 6 to 7. For unto us, this is Isaiah, this is the prophet Isaiah, this is written during the kingdom years of the nation of Israel, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1949 in the Qumran Caves. Do you know what the largest text that was still in perfect condition that they found? Guess which book it was? Isaiah. Guess why? Because it's the full, full prophecies of the coming of Messiah... ...that point not just to a Messiah, but specifically to Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given... ...and the government will be upon his shoulder... ...and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God... ...Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end... ...until the throne of David and over his kingdom... To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 11.10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. you understand how how, how how absolutely off the rocker this sounded to the people? The Gentiles shall seek him? Hello? The Messiah of Israel? The Jewish Messiah? The dirty, filthy, stinky, rotten, scoundrel Gentiles? No. No, 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 no. This is for the Jews only. It's not what the Bible says. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah 42, 1-4. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to who? To the Gentiles. Prophecy, man. Prophecy of the beginning of the church. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, speaking of Jesus and his meekness, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Remember, he preached the Beatitudes, and he said, "Don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners." So everyone can hear them. Isaiah says, Nor he will cause not cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. Speaking of Jesus Christ's mercy when dealing with sinners. The woman at the well. The woman caught in the act of adultery. The tax collectors. The sinners. When they came to Jesus Christ, he always responded to them in love and in grace. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. Isaiah 53, perhaps one of the most important prophecies of Messiah. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I mean you understand today that this is their book. And the Jewish people to this day do not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. To whom else is Isaiah speaking of? Who possibly could he be speaking of other than Jesus Christ? They were looking for what? A conquering Messiah who would depose Rome and establish the throne of David or reestablish the throne of David at that time. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24? He's talking to the disciples and they're like, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were, they didn't get it. They were looking for Jesus Christ to be a conquering hero, to defeat Rome. But Isaiah tells us exactly why he came, doesn't he? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Amen. Um, you, can, you can take that home and you can continue reading it. We're gonna, I could sit there and read these all day. I love it. Um, Jesus Christ, spoken of all through the Old Testament is the point I want to make. From Genesis all the way to Matthew, the prophets of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah. Everything everything surrounded it so what do we do with christmas what do we do with christmas we celebrate we celebrate understand this for us as children of the word of god and as disciples of jesus christ the holiday of christmas is not a high holy day you understand that we celebrate jesus on that day because he's worthy Because he's worthy of our praise. And he's worthy to be taken to the streets, right? And proclaimed to the people. It's the only time of year you can turn on secular radio and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y94 FM, right? Along with your other Christmas favorites. They proclaim, they don't even realize. They proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ on their radio station all day. This is the time of year that that's allowed to happen. This isn't a high holy day for us. This is a time of celebration for us. This is a time to celebrate what God has done. All the things that he promised the nation of Israel and the Gentiles, as we read, all the things that he promised that would come through coming of Messiah were fulfilled when Jesus Christ was born that night of a virgin in Bethlehem in a manger in the stable. And God called the shepherds that night, remember, to come. The very first ones that God brought to the crib, to the stable, to worship Emmanuel, were the lowly, lowly shepherds. These were the rough characters. They were not the kind of people you invited to dinner. The shepherds were uh, of, of a low sort. And they're the first ones that the angels appear to to proclaim that the Messiah is born. And they were so willing, weren't they, to rush to that place where the stars stood over and worship the king. That's cause for celebration, friends. So I hope that as you go your way, and as you go into this week, that these things are preeminent in your heart. Why Jesus came. That he was proclaimed to us to the nation of Israel in the scriptures through the prophets and that he came and fulfilled every one of those prophecies. It's it's they say over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament Jesus Christ fulfilled in his birth, life, death and resurrection. Amazing. Second service dad's going to talk to us about the purpose of the second coming. That's what we're waiting on. That's what we're waiting on now. All of this is for that. And everything that we do each and every day in our service to God is looking to that end. My hope is not in the Christmas bonus that I didn't get. My hope (laughs) is not in Christmas itself and what my wife might get me, right? Or any earthly thing. Our hope is in the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's like I always tell people, look, if everything this much has come true, guess what I think about this much? gonna happen it's all gonna be fulfilled jesus is coming amen? amen let's pray heavenly father thank you for your word thank you for the prophecies of your word lord that we might know who you are and who your son is lord thank you for uh, establishing your kingdom in our hearts lord we pray that you would continually be filling us with that joy and that peace uh that gladness as we worship you lord and we would go from this place singing glad tidings lord i pray each person here would go to every store and every place with a big old smile on their face. And joy would radiate from their hearts, Lord, and they would say Merry Christmas to everybody, everybody that's brought into their path. Lord, I pray and ask that you will use us, uh, Lord, in this world to be ambassadors for the cross, Lord. Lord, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, Lord, these next few days. We know that he didn't come to be born, but rather to die. And we pray, Father, that um, the crux of our ministry, Lord, and what it is that you've called us to do and what we actually do for you, Lord, would be based on proclaiming the truth of that gospel, that Jesus came to die for sinners. Father, we thank you so much for the gift that you gave us, the greatest gift that has ever been given in the history of the universe. Father, we pray that you would help us to every single day enjoy that gift, to fellowship with that gift, to focus on that gift, uh, Lord, and then to seek to pass it on, to re-gift it <laughs> to others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you guys.